Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. I must say, I get really excited when you do the intro now. It's almost <laughs> like when you go and see a, your favourite band and they kick off with one of your favourite songs. Oh, there you go. It's just like, yes, he's doing, he's doing, this is the, le- you know, this is the podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyway, back to the plot. So today we're doing issue 64 of Showcase, published on the 19th of July, 1966, dated... On the cover, October 1966. But the, the indicator inside says September, October 1966. This is the third appearance in showcase of the Golden Age ghostly guardian, the Spectre, which is nice. And Pizzi, do you want to tell us about the cover? I certainly shall. The cover is very striking. At the top, it's just got a small letter, showcase presents, but it's got a massive logo saying the Spectre across the top of the comic. It has an exclamation mark. I've never noticed that before. Yeah, that's how exciting it is. Mm. Also, we have the Google checks. Must mention the Google checks because mm-hmm. we are in 1966, and I love the Google checks at the top of every cover. We have three figures on the cover. Mm-hmm. We have Jim Corrigan right at the front, quite small, quite small. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. a mysterious figure in red robes hovering above mm-hmm. him, almost like comatose. And behind them all is the giant form of the Spectre, and the Spectre is saying. Out of my body, you squatter! Blame me. Yes. And there's a caption at the bottom of the cover which says, Introducing the most sensational villain of all time, the ghost of Ace Chance. I mean, it is a very striking cover. There's a purple background, so the, the spectre kind of stands out very clearly, and the logo sort of stands out very clearly. And there's a pattern of sort of circles behind Jim and behind the spectre, which just makes it, gives it a bit of movement, makes it look very, very dynamic. Yes. It almost sort of suggests, it looks like the figure in red. It looks like he's emerging from Jim Corrigan. But the spectre is zapping this figure with some Dr. Fate-style magic lightning bolts. Yes. Uh-huh. Can Murphy Anderson not just draw everything, please? <laughs> I think I'm going to travel back in time and write to DC Comics and suggest that. Shall we jump into the story? Oh yes, please. Our opening splash panel is narrated by the Spectre, but there's a main image which shows the figure of the Spectre being cleaved in two by one of the baddies who we'll meet during the story. He's being cleaved in two by an anchor that this guy is carrying. The guy sort of is looking from left to right as he does so, and he's appalled because he's split the Spectre in half. And indeed he says, I split the Spectre in two! I, I can't believe it! The little caption tells us the story's by Gardner Fox and the art's by Murphy Anderson. And the spectre in the corner who's narrating, who is very similar to the spectre face and figure that appears within the spectre logo. The spectre has his cape up to his face and he's pointing down towards the title of the story, but he's saying, Ace Chance was a gambler, a cheat, a con man and a loser. In desperation, he took the biggest gamble of his life, only to have it cost him his life. Yet... Strangely enough, his very death gave him the biggest break he ever had to be a winner when he became the the Ghost ghost of Ace Chance. Right, into the story. We start off with a little inset panel which shows a ship at sea. In the first panel, we have the trademark Murphy Anderson full moon. (laughs) I'm going to keep a count of how many Murphy Anderson full moons we get in this story. And there is a caption for this little inset panel. And it says, Aboard a gambling ship, Ace Chance is all set to make a killing at roulette. 
And we see inside the ship, it's a casino. We can see the roulette wheel, we can see the, the red and white check squares, we can see the piles of tokens, if that's what they're called. We can see a couple of people sat at the table, we can see a couple of stone-faced men standing behind, but at the table is indeed Ace Chance. His hair is sort of brown, it's sort of slicked back, looking very, very smart in his suit with his bow tie. And he's his fingers up to his face as he thinks, My man's made up. This is my last fling with Lady Luck. Starting tomorrow, Ace Chance fades from the scene and embarks on a new life. Hope I'm lucky tonight. I owe Booth Cody ten grand. But ten G's are peanuts compared to what I'm going to have after I court and marry Mona Marcy, the world's wealthiest woman. There's a little caption box, it says. As the pile of chips before him shrinks and shrinks, Ace dreams on. And Ace, we see Ace with a cigarette up to his mouth and we can see the various other casino people floating about in the background. Um, I'm not sure what the terminology is, but there's a guy obviously running a table. He's doing that thing when he uses that thing to move things around. You've probably been to casinos, Peter. Tell the listeners what's happening. I've hosted a casino night. Yes, it's the groupie who's using the rake to draw in the chips after each spin of the roulette wheel. see. I'm so much more well-behaved than Peter, you see, listeners, and I've, I've never been to a casino. I'm, I've led a much more sheltered life. <laughs> Quite a nice panel. I see there's the detail on his cigarette. We can see some serious faces. The guy in the background with all his chips talk. There's a very slinky lady in a red dress kind of slinking off and Ace is thinking. Of course, as of the moment, Mona Marcy doesn't even know me or my plans to be your future husband. But I'm handsome, smart and loaded with charm. How can I miss? Terrific. Right. The caption for the next panel says... Shortly past midnight, he steps into the ship's tender and rides toward the dockside of Gateway City. This little boat then is taking Ace back to the shore. You get a nice aerial shot of the boat scudding across the water, and Ace is thinking, I lost my last cent. Too bad for Booth Cody. He doesn't get his ten grand. My bad luck was his bad luck. Then the caption for the next panel. His feet strike hollow echoes on the waterfront cobblestones as... And we have our second Murphy Anderson full moon of the comic. We can see Ace walking along, but there's two shadowy figures looming round the corner from watching him. And one of them says, Here comes Chance now. And the second one says, Booth will get his money's worth with interest. The caption for the next panel at the bottom of page two. A cry in the night, the thud of heavy blows. Yeah, the two lurking figures attack Ace Chance with a prop and a thud. We see them punching him out. Ace cries out. No, no, ah! We now move to the top of page three. Not far away, Captain of Detectives Jim Corrigan is checking the doors of the Marine Museum. Yes, thankfully, or maybe lucky for Ace, Corrigan is out on patrol. Jim hears Ace's cry. Help! And Jim is thinking, I got a tip this place is going to be robbed tonight, but everything seems he hears the cry. What's that? Jim's head spins round. The next panel shows Jim rushing towards a ship. We can see a gangplank being up the side, and as he rushes forward, Jim is thinking, and very helpfully, tells us what he can see, and what we can see. Two men, carrying a slumped figure up onto that tank of liquid gas. We drop to the bottom row panels on page three. The caption for the first panel says, Before the far-off detective can interfere... And this is horrible, what we're seeing here. The two bad guys that jumped Ace Chance on page two, they've opened a hatch in the top of the tank, and they're lifting... Ace Chance over the gap they've created and the first bad guy is saying The natural gas they ship from Alaska is so cold, it's like liquid. And the second one says, Yeah, that's what he gets for trying to freeze Booth Cody out of his horse race bets. And 
we don't actually see it, but they basically drop him into this <laughs> this liquid natural gas. It's wow. Yeah, horrible. That's yeah, it really is. It's worthy of the the Ostrander Spectre series, or even the the Adventure Comic Spectre series. We'll get to in a few, quite a few episodes time. So the next panel. It's obviously that the worst thing has happened because we see a ghostly form taking shape as it emerges from the tank. As we can see it taking form, it's very similar to the red hooded figure that was on the cover, the red robed figure. So over the sequence of panels at the bottom of page three, the ghostly figure is thinking, I'm dead. I feel a tugging force pulling a ghostly shape out of my body. I sense somehow I'm being drawn away from Earth toward a mystic realm, a sort of hereafter. Over the page to page four, the caption says, As the strong arm boys flee. Jim Corrigan has arrived and vaults over the, the guardrail around the side of the tank with a swack. He knees one of the bad guys trying to run away in the back. And over the course of the rest of the page, with some crunks and whops, he takes the bad guys out. And this is basically what he says as he, as he does so. Hold it. Don't you guys know you can't get away with murder? As he leaps over the, the rail, chase after the first bad guy, saying, Hold it. Again, when you make me say it twice, I get twice as tough. Punches out this bad guy saying, Trouble with you punks is, you can't fight unless you do it in packs. Then the other guy who's pulled a gun, Jim turns towards him and says, Or when you have a gun in your hand. But he punches him out, thinking, There'll be no trouble handcuffing him now. The gunshot goes off as he knocks the guy's gun hand down to the floor. The caption at the top of page five now says, As Detective Corrigan reaches down for his prisoner, up from his body rises the discarnate shape of the eerie being known as the Spectre. This is one thing that I still haven't got used to, this idea of the Spectre and Jim operating very much as separate entities. Yes. So yeah, this panel, first panel of page five, shows Jim going to work on the guy that he's, he's knocked down, Spectre emerging from Jim's body, and the Spectre thinking, My astral powers tell me there is still a spark of life in the body of Ace Chance. Got to get to him before it peters out. The caption for the next panel. Steel walls are no barrier to the disembodied detective. And we see the Spectre moving through the, the wall of the tank, almost sort of phasing through it. We can see Ace's body floating in a liquid gas. The Spectre is thinking... I'll enter into his frozen shape. Revitalise the faint life spark if possible. And in panel three shows the spectre merging into Ace's body. Poor Ace, that's horrible. <laughs> I mean, did he drown? Did he freeze instantly? It's horrible. Was that a combination? It's, it's, it's horrendous. Who knows? And as the spectre merges into Ace's body, the spectre is thinking, his spirit being is already gone. The life force in his body was too weak to hold it. The caption for the next panel. Next instant, the ghost of Ace Chance on its way to the mystic realm. And we see the ghost of Ace Chance, which is you know this red-robed and red-hooded figure, very pale skin, very white. It almost looks like he's drifting above Earth into space. And he's thinking, Another force, yanking me back toward my body. We drop to the bottom of page five now, and the caption for the first panel here says, As the gambler's body rises upward from the tank of liquefied gas... Yeah, this is weird because we see the liquefied gas obviously dripping off of Ace's corpse as it seems to be floating up into the air. The now fully defined sort of red-robed and caped and hooded figure of the ghost of Ace Chance flies down and he can see his own body floating up and he thinks, That's my physical body, but I'm unable to return into it. There's another spirit inside it and two spirit shapes cannot inhabit the same body. The caption for the next panel. A mental wail of terror and despair arises from the ghost of Ace Chance as it is whipped about by the opposing tugging forces of the mystic realm and its own body. 
Yeah, and we see the the ghost of Ace Chance, which is what I'm going to call him for the rest of the episode. He's drifting apart, almost like smoke on the wind, and he's thinking, I'm being wrenched apart. If I don't get inside a human body soon, I'll be dissipated forever. Over the page now to page six, and Ace continues, I need a host body quick. Ah, I can sense such a warm living body not far away. I must enter it and live on. And the caption for the next panel says, And so, as Detective Captain Jim Corrigan handcuffs his prisoners... Yeah, we see Jim on the deck of the boat, and he's handcuffing the two bad guys together, and the ghost of Ace Chance is moving down and merging into Jim in the same way that we've seen the Spectre take possession of Corrigan's body as well. And as the ghost of Ace Chance combines himself with Jim, the ghost of Ace Chance is thinking, How odd that this man should have no inner spirit. But of course... This is the host body for the Spectre. Once I'm in it, the Spectre will be cut off from his own body. The caption for the next panel. Unwittingly under the control of the psychic powers of the gambler's ghost, Jim Corrigan hurries toward his car and... And with a scree of brakes, the car goes rushing off, headlights in full beam, and Ace Chance is thinking... What an unexpected development. I figured to assume a new identity... But never imagined it would happen this way. I'll make my pitch for Mona Marcy as Jim Corrigan. We then return to the Spectre, and the caption for the next panel says, Moments later, the Spectre is amazed to see his alter ego speed away from the scene. Yeah, this shows the Spectre emerging from the body of Ace Chance, and he's thinking, My human self, leaving the premises alone? Has Jim forgotten the tip he received about a museum robbery here? The next panel shows the Spectre beholding the two bad guys are stretched out on the deck of the ship, handcuffed together, and the spectre thinks, These hoodlums. Artie should just leave them here. Why didn't he call an ambulance to pick up Ace Chance and rush him to a hospital? Guess I'll have to finish up here. We can also see in that panel Ace Chance's body, but it's been dumped. It's really quite... It's really quite <laughs> oh, it's unpleasant. So, the caption then for the next panel says, Then, at a nearby precinct house... And this is great. There's an enormous, huge spectre with the two bad guys in his hand, and he's reaching down from height to hand them to a couple of police officers. And this policeman says, Look, it's the Spectre, handing over a couple of bad ones. And the Spectre says, Book him for assault and battery, officers. I have to rush a man over to the hospital. Assault and battery? <laughs> they drowned him in liquid gas, for God's sake. <laughs> oh, my he- oh, my- oh, my stars, as a young person might say. Right, we're now... At the top of page seven, and a caption says, At the Marine Museum, somewhat later. So, yeah, back at the Marine Museum that that Jim had had the tip about, and we can see three bad guys, all wearing hats, all wearing suits, one carrying a briefcase, one wearing a sort of red maroon suit, one wearing a green, and one sort of a pale brown suit. He's actually the bad guy who we saw in the splash panel. So you might have an idea what's coming next. The first lead baddie, with a striped shirt and the black tie, He's arrived at a jewellery case, and he's saying, These jewels recovered from shipwrecks all across the world are worth millions. And the green suited suit says, Stop talking and start taking! The caption for the next panel. Deep in the hearts of two magnificent rubies, eerie lights glow. And this panel's almost from the point of view of the bad guys. He looks down and, and sure enough, this is great. I mean, this is the sort of thing we've got used to over the decades of the, the spectre sort of making his presence felt. The rubies are glowing, but we can also see the shape of eyes sort of coming into form around them. The bad guy says, Hey, these gems are staring up at me like a pair of eyes. And indeed, the next panel, we see the full face of the spectre appearing. And the bad guy continues. 
Aye, a face forming around the eyes. And then the next panel, he says, Now a hand and it's flying at me. Yep, and uh, with a clop sound effect, the spectre's hand has fully appeared and punches out the bad guy on the chin. Then the next panel shows him going down. The spectre's now fully formed, looking like he's been drawn by Bernard Bailey, quite frankly. He looks glorious. A big flash of light behind him as he appears. And the bad guy in the brown suit, he has got his gun out and he says, The spectre, I'll pump you so full of lead you'll be top heavy. Now at the top of page eight, and it's obvious the bad guy has fired his gun. However, he says, Oh, he turned the bullets to puffs of smoke. Yeah, and with a big flash of golden energy behind him, we see the spectre has raised his cape. There's little clouds of smoke where the bullets have been right in front of him. And in the next panel, the spectre blows that smoke at the baddie with a whoosh. And the baddie falls backwards saying, The smoke hitting me feels like solid lead. Right, and the next panel shows, and we think there might have been a colouring mistake here that the bad guys are mixed up. One of the baddies is then going for the spectre with an anchor that he's obviously found on the floor of the museum. And as he brings it down towards the spectre, he's thinking, I'll anchor him to the floor. And there's a closing caption for this page. It says, Startling surprises, weird wonders, terrific thrills continue on the second page following. So we're now on page nine of the story, and we have a nice little circular caption box which proclaims, The Ghost of Ace Chance, Part Two. So, straight back into the story, the caption says, the sharp flange of the old sea anchor cleaves the air. Yeah, and there's a great sense of motion in this panel. The bad guy's obviously brought the anchor up over his head and brought it down on the spectre. And the guy says, I split the spectre in two. I, I can't believe it. Yeah, it's basically the image from the opening splash panel. The spectre is split very neatly down the middle into two halves. I like how both halves look quite surprised that hand, his hands are sort of, oh, what's going on? <laughs> yes. And the left-hand side of the spectre says, in response to the bad guy's disbelief, why should you? Rash mortal. And then the other half of the spectre says, I divided my own body in half, an instant before your anchor struck. The caption for the next panel on page 9 says, As the ghostly guardian rejoins his body segments, a bolt of lightning flashes. Yes, bolt of lightning flashes from the spectre's eyes with a giant zzzt and a scream from the bad guy. <laughs> and it's great because he looks like he's been struck by lightning. It's very funny. Terrific. The caption for the next panel. Then, as the two police officers emerge from booking the booth Cody Hoods... We again see the spectre looming large down above the police station, holding all three of the baddies who broke into the museum, and one of the emerging police officers says... Spectre's at it again. He's brought us three more. And the spectre says... The charge is attempted robbery this time. And we should point out the little sign on the shop that the spectre is looming over. Julie's. Yes. So that's probably a reference to Julie Schwartz, I imagine. I would think so. Over the page to page 10, and we see the spectre striding over the city. The city's almost in silhouette, and the spectre is thinking, Why should all this activity weaken me so? I better return to my host body, renew my spectral powers. Eh? What's that? And the next panel, we see the spectre still looming large over the city, standing on the street, and he's thinking, The ground is quivering. Buildings starting to shake. A terribly destructive earthquake is underway. My Jim Corrigan contact will have to wait. And did we see the spectre sort of shaking? He's obviously been affected by the vibrations. The caption for the next panel says, Downward into the trembling earth sinks the discarnate detective. Deep into the solid outer mantle and plastic inner zone below Gateway City. And as the spectre drops below the surface of the, the earth, he's thinking, The pressures that build deep in the planet's molten core cause the earth's crust to shift at times, resulting in vibrations that cause tremors and earthquakes. 
The next panel shows him, it's like he's flipped into negative. Instead of being all white, he's black, and his, the inside of his cape is white. And there's a sort of cree sound effect going over the panel. We can see him sort of, it looks like he's swimming through the mantle of the earth. It's quite exciting, actually. Mm-hmm. The spectre thinks, but by acting as a safety valve, I can relieve those pressures. By letting off those energies, a steam. And indeed, there is a sort of cloud of steam playing out before him. It's very confusing. This is padding. This really feels like padding, I must say. <laughs> the next panel, which almost runs the length of page 10, we see the spectre, and he's thinking, Now to push those rock faults back together, cement them with my spectral energies so they can't slide apart again. And we did. We see him reaching up and obviously moving those bits of the, the Earth's crust or whatever it is back into position. Very handy that he was there for that. that that's filled up page 10 nicely. Absolutely, yes. We're now at the top of page 11, and the caption says, When he rises halfway out of the ground... Maybe I spoke too soon. Maybe it's not padding yet. This is quite interesting. (laughs) We see the spectre looming up out of the ground, and indeed, he says what we see. A tornado, and Gateway City is right in its path. I used up considerable power stopping that earthquake. I hope I have enough left. The caption for the next panel. As a bullfighter executes a pass, so the ghostly guardian flashes his cape. Yes, we need a bit of flamenco guitar <laughs> in the background. <laughs> this is a great panel. We're on the outskirts of the city. The Spectre's still a giant size. The tornado is heading towards him, and the Spectre's lifting up his cape behind him, stretching it out, and he's thinking, I'll lure the tornado after my cloak, let it waste its furies in the open fields, taking such deep concentration to do this. Never felt so weak before. In the caption for the next panel. And then, even as the revolving vortex harmlessly swirls away. Yep, the left of the panel, we can see the tornado sort of spinning out over the the river. The spectre was standing close beside. The spectre's dialogue very helpfully tells us what's going on. Huh? Now what? Trees, apparently gone wild, reaching out their branches to grab me. Strangle me! Yeah, and we can see there's quite a lot of trees near where he's standing, and they're all sort of inclined towards him. It's like the branches are reaching out. The caption for the next panel. The Wonder Wraith calls upon his dwindling ergs of energy to grip those crunching branches, snap and wrench them apart. Yep, we can see one tree trunk that he's obviously already dealt with. It's sort of been snapped and it's fallen over, and he's pulled another couple of trees up out of the ground. As all this is going on, the spectre proclaims, So many disasters happening, one after the other. It can't be a coincidence. Someone is causing them and involving me. But why? It's Gardner Fox. Mate, he's doing it to pad out the story. Yes. At the expense of doing anything else that might be a bit more interesting. Anyway, so, over the page to page 12. And this is quite good. I like these panels. We see a giant, grossly sized spectre hand with a giant whap sound effect. As he has grabbed a whole pile of trees and slammed them together. Thinking, there, that'll save the lumberjacks the trouble of chopping down those trees. Now... Back to Jim Corrigan, if I can. I mean, who's to say that these trees were supposed to be getting cut down by lumberjacks? The spectre knows. He's like the shadow that way. Well, <laughs> I hope he does, man. Otherwise, that's some environmental damage that he's causing right there. I can't see any sign of a lumberjack station or any men in checked shirts running about looking appalled. Maybe the spectre never wanted to be an Astral Avenger for a living. Maybe he always <laughs> wanted to be a lumberjack. <laughs> Ba, 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 ba. So, the caption for panel 2 on page 12 says... As a cool night wind blows, the spectre along... Yep, the spectre's gliding along peacefully, and he's thinking... Jim's at police headquarters. 
caption for the next panel. A spectacular entrance of police headquarters where... And a spectre emerges through the walls of the police headquarters and he comes across a very unlikely scene because Jim is hurling his police badge down on the desk in front of the superior officer who sat in front of him and Jim is saying, I'm turning in my shield. For 20 years I've wasted my talents as a detective. Now I'm going to think of me first. The spectre confronts Jim and says, Resigning from the police force? What's got into you? I'm tired of you too, Spectre. Go hunt a house or something. Spectre puts his hand to Jim's shoulder on the next panel, saying, I'll put a quick stop to this by entering your body and... Oh! Shades of Pluto! I I can't get inside you! And Jim replies, Good. Go rustle up another host. Get lost. And in the next panel, we see Jim walking off, silhouetted against a, another full moon, and the Spectre watches him go, thinking, Some other spirit being has displaced me in his body. Is that the reason I've been so terribly weakened by my battles with the earthquake, tornado and trees, so I can't force my way back in? We're now at the top of page 13, and we get a nice close-up of the spectre here, and in his eyes, instead of pupils, we see skulls, which is a great little motif that I've seen over the years. Yes. So the spectre continues to think. To make matters worse, as I tried to enter Jim Corrigan, I sensed a strong barrier of sinister energy about his body, as if the spirit being within him had drawn on the entire evil of the world to predict himself from me. The spectre takes flight in the next couple of panels, leaving the city and flying out over a more sort of desolate bit of land. And as he flies, he thinks, That spirit being must know, as I know, that evil deeds generate a special radiation energy of tremendous power. Weak and alone as I am, I'm unable to penetrate the evil energy barrier and come to grips with that spirit inside Jim's body. But I know where I can get help. For just as evil creates its own unique energy, so do good deeds give rise to a good radiation which keeps the evil energy in check. He drops downward to a jungle clearing where a Peace Corps worker is doing a good turn for the natives. Yes, and we see a blonde young lady teaching some kids she has a blackboard. She's written over the chalk table, so they're all sat with their books. We see a little thatched hut on top of a tower. The spectre hovers above and he's thinking, I'll wrap this good radiation about me, then draw on it later. Now, the next panel, and I thought about this when doing the prep, it's a vaguely contentious element to this panel at the bottom of page 13. Yes. Because what we see is a sort of translucent full figure of the spectre passing over and through three ostensibly good events that are taking place. Now, we're going to do these in sort of reverse order, from right to left rather than left to right. The first one is captioned, To a hospital. And we see a nurse and a doctor. The doctor has a syringe. There's a patient in the bed. They're obviously looking after him and taking care. That's nice. The next one. A religious service. And we see three people, two men and a woman. They're obviously they're kneeling and they're in prayer. And the, f- <laughs> and the next one, which is giving me all of this pain. He moves on to the Vietnam War Zone. <laughs> and we see what's obviously a US soldier with his gun out, walking through some water. Yeah. <laughs> very, very, very controversial that that is classed as a place where he would absorb good radiation from. Yes. Bearing in mind, this is the time when DC were starting to publish their hippie-esque titles. Stuff like Brother Power of the Geek and all that wasn't far away from this. Yeah. Which is a slightly different take on situations like the, the Vietnam War. So, And I mean, at this point, um, they were still publishing our fighting forces and our army at war mm-hmm. and... Star Spangled. Star Spangled might still have been dinosaurs at this point. I'm not sure. I would have to check. I think it was because I had the checkerboards. I mean, within a couple of years, the pages of our fighting forces would, you know, have you know, lead character that was sort of set during Vietnam, and they would be doing, you know, stories set there. It's like mm-hmm. we're a long way from the the revisionist times of Platoon and Full yeah. Metal Jacket and all that sort of stuff, yeah. aren't we? So anyway, we'll draw we'll draw a veil over that. We arrive at the top of page fourteen. 
While the spirit sleuth has been scouring the world to gain psychic strength, his alter ego, Jim Corrigan, has been conducting a whirlwind ghost-controlled campaign to woo and win a wife. And this panel shows Jim Corrigan with Mona Marcy, who Ace Chance was pursuing. Uh, we can see them dancing, and he's another little vignette of him giving us some flowers, and then very close together. She looks very sultry. And in the caption for panel two, says, Handsome and charming, dominated by the sinister schemings of the ghost of Ace Chance, Jim Corrigan is ready to pop the question. And we see Jim Corrigan walking up to a very, 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 very big posh house. And it's the spirit within Jim that is thinking, My fortune hunting days are over. Indeed. The caption then for the next panel says, then, out of the night, strengthened by the good deed radiations, comes the spectre. And this is a cracking panel. Jim Corrigan looks very moody. He's obviously lit by the full moon by Murphy Anderson from the earlier panel. The spectre is floating almost down behind him, thinking, Now to see whether that evil barrier around Jim Corrigan can withstand the good radiation I've absorbed. And then this chapter is rounded out with a caption box saying, once again, the age-old struggle between good and evil is about to be fought. Join with Spectre as he battles the myth and reality of evil through the ages. Story continues to its stupendous climax on the second page following. And the rest of that page is rounded out with an advert for part two of the 1966 Justice League and Justice Society team-up, which we've done already, so over the page... So we're now at the top of page 15, and a nice little circular caption box that says, The, the Ghost of Ace Chance, Part 3. And an opening caption that says, The discarnate detective digs his digits deep into the frame of Jim Corrigan. His spectral fingers tighten, yank out and upward, bringing the ghost of Ace Chance with them. As these psychic personalities come into conflict, the body of the detective captain slumps unconscious, unable to withstand their awesome forces. Yeah, that's a complete bit of Showcase 55 there, because that just tells us what we see. The Spectre basically pulling the ghost of Ace Chance out of Jim Corrigan's body, and Jim Corrigan falling unconscious on the ground. This whole page is only, only has two panels in it, so the caption for the second panel says, Beneath the struggling shades, the ground shivers, shimmers, changes shape. So we see the spectre and the ghost of Ace Chance up in the air and a sort of blue shimmer over the ground be beneath them. We can still see the body of Jim Corrigan stretched out on the ground. It's almost like, are, are all these buildings sort of phasing into shape or are they changing? It's not too clear. But anyway, the ghost of Ace Chance and the spectre are now tussling and the ghost of Ace Chance says, Spectre, know that I now possess the knowledge of the ages. Nothing is beyond my powers to accomplish. Witness what I'm causing to happen below. Yeah, so we're now at the top of page 16. The caption says, The eerie transformation ends, and Gold Alley, that mystic street of the alchemists in Prague, takes shape. Yeah, so that's obviously what was happening. Gold Alley was what was materialising in the bottom half of page 15. So, silhouetted against a full moon, we see the spectre and the ghost of Ace Chance still tussling, but appearing in the background. In fact, the ghost of Ace Chance tells us who's appearing in the background when he says, I've learned much from the evil energies of Earth. Now, I shall put my nefarious wisdom to work by calling on the basilisks to destroy you. Yes, the basilisks, they look like dragons, basically. They look very much like Lockheed the Dragon from the X-Men. Winged serpents, yeah, coloured orange. And then the massive panel, which takes up a huge chunk of page 16, shows the spectre 
being attacked by the basilisks. He's one bite into his leg, another one gripping his other leg and biting his arm. There's a couple of other ones flying in. There's another one silhouetted against the full moon. And the ghost of Ace Chance flies off. He's having a great time and he says, <laughs> While those lizards from the infernal pits pulverise your psychic shape, I'll be on my way to win a wife and then a world. In the bottom panel of page 16, he's still being attacked by the basilisks. The spectre sends one of his arms to stretch out and grab the ghost of Ace Chance. The spectre says, You're not leaving yet, ghost. I need you to overcome these basilisks. The ghost of Ace Chance thinks, Got to escape his clutches. Carry out my scheme. Over the page to page 17 and the caption says, In the mighty hand of the spirit sleuth, the ghost of Ace Chance becomes a living club with which to dispel demons. <laughs> this is great. The spectre has basically grabbed the ghost of Ace Chance by his ankles and he's swinging him around with a blap and a whomp and a pound and a thwack. He's striking all the basilisks and the spectre declares, I'll use some of that evil energy in you to overcome those evil beings you've allied yourself with. And the ghost of Ace Chance is not having a good time. And he says, No! No! Ah! Caption for the next panel. Battered, bruised, the wicked wraith screams an order. The spectre then brings the ghost of Ace Chance to collide with another basilisk with a, dra- <laughs> with a giant quank sound of itch. And the ghost of Ace Chance says, Get lost, you basilisks. Beat it before I lose all my power. Then the caption for the next panel. In the wink of an eye, the magic street of the alchemist is gone, giving way to the dark ruins of the dread chapel of Sakir. Now this is interesting. I wonder, are they being transported around the world by the ghost of Ace Chance's powers, or is, is he shifting reality around them? It's, it's interesting. It could be either, yeah. Huh? Yeah, it's not too clear. Anyway, so this next panel now, we can see a tree and some gravestones. It looks like the ruins of a building. Actually, at first, th- at first I thought it was the ruins of Dr. Fate's Tower, but anyway. We see the spectre and the ghost of Ace Chance silhouetted against a full moon. And the ghost of Ace Chance is saying, First round to you, spectre. But see what you can do against the diabolical sects and now call upon to aid me. We're now at the top of page 18. And the caption says, The Chapel of Sakir, the site of black masses and demon worship in the past. Energies cluster about its fire-darkened walls, and even today, the members of certain secret cults still use these blasphemous ruins for modern mischief. We basically get a better look at the, at the landscape that the previous panel showed us. We move to panel 2 of page 18, and we have a caption that says, Robes flapping, these modern devotees of evil fling themselves upon the ghostly guardian, bearing weapons of their magic arts. Yeah, these guys are creepy. They're obviously folk of different shapes and ages and and sizes and stuff. They're wearing deep sort of maroon robes, and one of them's carrying what looks like a sort of sword, and one of them's carrying a giant ring, almost. It seems to have inscriptions on it. It's sort of green-coloured. Someone else carries what looks like a bit like a toffee apple in that first panel, and someone else is carrying a sort of three-pronged fork, which obviously has some inscriptions. Yeah, these guys are creepy. We then have another massive panel at the bottom of page 18, and a caption that says, As unholy Sistrum and ritual lunar sword, as Paracelsus' trident and the great ring of Gyges strike him, <laughs> an eerie weakness surges through the spectre. It's very handy of the caption they're telling us what I was attempting to describe very badly in the previous panel. Yes, what all their weapons are actually called. That's quite handy. The great ring of... Okay, right. So with a swack and a whomp and a zap, 
You see these bad guys striking the Spectre with the trident and with the ring and the other stuff. And the Spectre looks very, very woe is me. His hand up to his face and he's thinking, they're evil, so absolute, so overpowering, blotting out my astral senses. The ring looks more like the toilet seats of Green Lantern, really, doesn't it? <laughs> The toilet seat of Green Lantern. The toilet seat of Green Lantern. <laughs> it does. It also looks like a child's swimming toy. Yes. The child's swimming seat, toilet seat, toy, swimming toy of Green Lantern. Anyway. About the last thing it looks like is a weapon, to be honest. Yes, it does. <laughs> the trident is striking him on, on one arm, and the toffee apple, sort of swirly looking thing, striking him in the back of a leg. He's been poked in the chest with a sword, but he's getting <laughs> whacked in his stomach. <laughs> With that ring, which looks really, really heavy, it must be said. I bet that's really sore. Yeah. So over the page then to page 19, and the caption says, Desperately, the spectral sleuth reaches out, breaks off the dread altar of sacrifice. Yes, this is handy. The spectre's reached out behind them, and there's an altar, which I don't think we saw in the, in the other panels. There's sort of detail on it, almost like dragon heads. And he breaks this off, and as he's being, he's now in this panel, he's being struck on the head with the, the toilet seat of Green Lantern. And the spectre is thinking, I need a weapon to fight evil with evil. So he snaps this altar with a giant crack in the background, flying off, silhouetted against a full moon. We see the ghost of Ace Chance, and as he legs it, he thinks, Now I'm free to proceed with my plan. Right then, so the spectre's broken off part of the altar, and the caption for the next panel at the bottom of page 19 says, He hurls one evil artifact upon the others, releasing their nefarious power in a flare of lethal light. So we see the spectre flinging the big part of the dread altar of sacrifice that he's broken off at these monks of Sakaia, and we can see the giant toilet seat with its inscriptions and the sword and the little. It's like we can see now actually it's not really a toffee apple. It looks like a sort of hollow metal sphere made up of metal bands and the trident. So basically, the spectre has hurled that bit of the altar at them with a giant of a blat. There's a release of lightning from the artifacts, and the spectre is thinking. A sparks flare when two live wires touch, so our evil energies released when those objects come in contact. So obviously the altar is charged just as much as those other artifacts that the bad guys are using. It must be said, this is another page with very few panels. That's another massive panel taking up the, the bulk of page 19, only two panels in that one. So, continued in second page following, so we pass an advert from a Lois Lane to page giant, and we arrive at page 20. Now the spectre is reaching after the ghost of Ace Chance, he's stretching up and growing. As he grabs the ghost of Ace Chance, he says, Stay your flights, you who were Ace Chance. We have not yet finished our battle. And Ace Chance thinks, I must escape. I'll conjure up another fighting force. And the caption for the next panel, which shows a massive close-up of the ghost of Ace Chance, says, Struggling furiously, the ghost being calls upon the witches and warlocks of Earth. Those practitioners of ancient evil who still lurk in remote corners of the globe. And this deranged, immaculately rendered white-faced close-up of the ghost of Ace Chance cries, By the evil that gives you power, slay the spectre by fire flower. It's a very helpful arrow which takes us to the next panel, which is a caption saying, In answer to that summons, witches and warlocks alike chant the old spell which draws the flames of evil from the air. It's a very stereotypical looking witch, sort of wearing a, a pointy hat and a long sort of dress, and we see a guy who's presumably a warlock. He's wearing tight-fitting, weirdly shaped orange clothes <laughs> and has little horns poking at the top of his head. It looks like they're, sh they're shaking salt or pepper or some kind of element into a fire. Yes. And the ghost of Ace Chance's voice can be heard proclaiming, Fire burn and fire play. 
evil creep and evil stray, seek out with whom you shall slay, let nothing good stand in your way. And then another helpful arrow takes us to the next panel, which spans the length of page 20. The specks are surrounded by flames. The caption says, A fire flower rises skyward, blazing petals gaping wide to envelop and devour the spectre within their flaming clasp. And obviously the heat of this fire flower makes the spectre release the ghost of Ace Chance, who flies off, saying, Those fires will follow you no matter where you go, spectre. There's no escape from them. <laughs> We're now at the top of page 21. And we can see in the background of the panel the ghost of Ace Chance flying away. The caption says, High up rises the ghostly guardian, large grow his hands as... The spectre looms up out of the flames, proclaiming, Not yet! I bring these cold clouds together, pour out some of the good energies I absorbed into them, and as the cold clouds gather above the hot fire flower, they drench its evil in a rain of goodness. And we can see indeed the spectre drawing clouds in, and a giant sound effect as those clouds turn to rain, and that rain pours down on the flyer, putting it out. The next panel, the spectre is stretching and is caught up with the ghost of Ace Chance, grabs him by the legs and he says, I have you now. The ghost of Ace Chance replies, But not for long. I've not run out of tricks yet. Right, and there's a total leap here. <laughs> this is murder. We suddenly see... Oh, Peter, tell us what we see. <laughs> it's almost like a cross between an altar and a Viking longboat. Yes. In shimmering yellow, flying through the night sky. It is yeah. bizarre. I wonder if it's supposed to be made of gold or something like that. We can see that the ghost of Ace Chance and the Spectre are sort of standing in the bows of this new vessel. At the front and the back of this boat, there's a sort of figurehead of a, of a horned goat. It's obviously a very bad thing. The ghost of Ace Chance then says to the Spectre, Up and away we go in this solar boat, Spectre. It'll carry us into the gulfs between the stars where primeval demon gods dwell, ever since they were banished from the haunts of men. Wow, that makes perfect sense. We have a little caption that says continued in the second page following. Over the page, we're now at page 22. And the first panel, there's a very cosmic background to this panel. We see the ghost of Ace Chance and the spectre standing. And it looks like a giant green dragon flying towards them from that outer space cosmic background. And the ghost of Ace Chance indicates this dragon that's flying towards them. And he says, Your doom is at hand, spectre. Here comes winged Soroboro. Elemental being once worshipped by Earth pagans. Yeah, so we got a cracking shot of this guy in the second panel of page 22, which again is another massive panel which takes up more than half the page. He's a very long-necked, pink-eyed green dragon, big long twisty tail, small wings. The caption says, The eldritch terror hurls itself upon the ghostly guardian, and for torturous moments, psychomatter body battles incarnate evil. The dragon has grabbed the spectre by the legs, and the spectre is thinking, Even I, with all my powers, could never defeat this horrendous creature. With my every victory over the forces of evil which the ghost of Ace Chance summoned up against me, I grow stronger and stronger in goodness. Now I am able to fight Soroboro and win. And then the caption for the next panel at the bottom, page 22, says, until finally, by extending himself beyond the galaxy, outside the borders of space and time, to the black ultimate where nothing can exist. And again, that's the caption doing an awful lot of the storytelling for us here. <laughs> but there's not really much to sort of indicate that beyond the fact that the spectre now throws Soroboro away. There's a pink and black wave of something dissecting the panel. The rim of the cosmic existence, I would I say. I suppose it must be, yeah. The edge of reality. Ooh. Yeah. 
The spectre hurls Soroboro away, and as he does so he says, There you shall stay, frozen to inertness. All life inside you at a standstill, forevermore. Over the page to page 23. A sob of mingled hate and despair distends the throat of that which was ace chance. We got a lovely cosmic Murphy Anderson background here of swooping comets and three-dimensional planets and stars. And the spectre has grabbed the ghost of Ace Chance by the scruff of his of his robes and is pulling him along through space, saying, Now that I've drained you of the evil energies you absorbed on Earth, back you go where you belong, inside the body of Ace Chance, where you'll lose your supernatural powers and be your normal self. And Ace Chance is thinking, What a fool I've been. I've just now realised how to defeat the spectre. But it's too late. Or is it? The caption for the next panel. Toward the hospital where Ace Chance is recuperating comes the Wonder Wraith and his prisoner. And we see the spectre and the ghost of Ace Chance emerging through the wall of the hospital. And we see a doctor with a clipboard standing next to the body of Ace Chance, which is in a hospital bed. There's a little bedside lamp casting a shadow. The spectre comes through the wall and he says, How is Ace Chance, doctor? And the doctor replies, all of a sudden, he made a complete recovery. It's amazing. The next panel, this is tremendous. The spectre lifts the ghost of Ace Chance up above the body and says, Good, then in you go, ghost. And the ghost of Ace Chance thinks, My trick worked. In a few moments, the spectre shall be overcome. We drop to the bottom of page 23 now, and there's an insert panel close up of the ghost of Ace Chance, and he's thinking, A spectre carried me here by the last trace of evil energy still within me. I summoned the body of Jim Corrigan here and teleported the body of Ace Chance back to Corrigan's place. So the spectre is lifting the, the ghost of Ace Chance up, and it's obviously going to drive him into the body on the hospital bed. And again, we see the body stretched out, and this little lamp casting a very defined shadow, and the ghost of Ace Chance is thinking as the spectre starts to move him down. To conceal the switchover, I created an illusion of my former body, so Jim Corrigan would look like Ace Chance. <gasps> spectre cannot possibly know this, so when he puts me inside his body, I'll regain my former powers and destroy him. Uh-oh. We're now at the top of page 24, the caption says, Suddenly, the ghostly guardian leans forward and fastens his powerful hands upon the illusion created by the ghost of Ace Chance. And as the spectre continues to raise the ghost of Ace Chance above his head, with his other hand, he grabs the illusion and pulls it away from the body of Jim Corrigan. The ghost of Ace Chance proclaims, No, no, what are you doing? And the spectre says, I'm removing the illusion you placed over the body of Jim Corrigan to trick me into putting you into it. Then the next panel shows the spectre carrying away the ghost of Ace Chance behind him as they fly up away from the hospital. And the spectre's saying, Come along, I'm putting you where you belong, in your own body. And Ace Chance replies, How did you know? How could you have known? The caption for the next panel. As the discarnate detective thrusts the spirit being back into the body of Ace Chance... And we see Ace Chance's body in its full-length hospital smock stretched out on the ground. And we see the spectre thrusting the ghost back into his body. The spectre says, You fooled the doctor and me, but you couldn't fool the lamp on the night table. We saw Ace Chance, but the lamp threw the profile shadow of Jim Corrigan on the screen. Fortunately, I saw it just in time. We're now at the final panel of the story. The caption says, Later, after Ace Chance, with his now harmless spirit being, has been returned to the hospital for further treatment. And we see Jim and the Spectre. The Spectre sat on a chair, obviously. I wonder if it's in Jim's apartment. There's a nice sort of pop-art freak-out painting on the wall. The Spectre looks very relaxed. Yes. And Jim is sort of his hand, hand to his neck and he's saying, 
Cancelling my resignation from the police force will be easy, but what am I going to do about Mona Marcy? She's expecting me to propose to her. Inspector replies, You got yourself into that hole, Jim, so you'll have to dig your own way out of it. The, the end. end. And I'll take immediate exception with that because Jim didn't really get himself into that hole. It was the <laughs> it was the possession of Ace Chance. Yeah. Well, so that's it for Showcase 64. What do you think, Peter? Well, it, it kind of follows the pattern we've had in the three showcases. They all seem to follow the same, similar pattern in that there's a really street-level thing that happens that Jim Corrigan is present for, mm-hmm. and then something happens, there's some mystical energy involved, and then Spectre goes off, does his thing, Jim's in a wee bit of danger, then there's a big cosmic battle. I mean, this is another story in which we've had the Spectre literally abandoning a big demonic entity somewhere. We had Asmodeus being frozen. Yeah. And then we had Shathan being deposited at the beginning of time uh, in the Big Bang. (laughs) And this time, uh, the the dragon creature's getting thrown out of reality. Yeah. It is a cosmic prison, basically. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Because it's depositing them everywhere. Yeah. It's slightly formulaic, because it reminds me in a way of the old Power Rangers TV series when you'd start off a thing, there'd be a bit of funny nonsense, and then in the final ten minutes, you know, Rita Repulsa would grow the monster up to giant size. The Power Rangers would all combine, and then they'd fight them, and that would be it, there'd be a bit of fun funny business at the end it's yeah. as formulated you're right there's street stuff the danger is it built upon cosmic battle scene funny tag scene yeah. I mean I have to say it's a lot more coherent than the first of the three Spectre stories yes and it's interesting because I've seen this story referred to as a trial run a sort of pilot for Dead Man sure you know with the um the guy in red going into other people's bodies yeah I can see that but I think out of the three of them it's, it's probably the, the one I've enjoyed least really I think I enjoyed this better than the first one to be honest that, that's Modus one because I, I thought it was very convoluted yeah, I mean, it's a lot more straightforward than the first one. Mm-hmm. But the first one really has that all that thrill of the spectre coming back and all that sort of stuff. And, and mm-hmm. obviously, Jim Corrigan didn't really have as much to do in this one as he did in that first story. I think out of the three and the second one's my favourite. And it's very early for me to sort of say law of diminishing returns, but it, there weren't too many surprises in this one beyond yeah. the quite good idea of Ace Chan- the ghost of Ace Chance himself. Mm-hmm. But also, it's another story in which the Spectre's kind of slightly in danger because of the fact he's separated from Corrigan. Mm. Because we've had that pretty much in all three of them as well. Mm-hmm. Again, it's very formulaic, as, as you said there. Yeah, it, it's, it's really hard to see how they can build an ongoing Spectre series from this, if this is the, the formula they're going for. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it looks amazing. The Murphy Anderson art in it is absolutely incredible. But Gardner's scripts are just, mm-hmm. at this stage, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of expect more. Also, the Spectre's that powerful. That unless, you know, Corrigan's in danger, then there's literally nothing that could stop him. Yeah. You know, I mean, he had to be weakened in this case. The fact he was like separated from Jim all that time, plus yeah. all the disasters he, had to, he was uh, made to deal with mm. uh, during that time. Mm. We need to talk about the big thing, and that is the whole Vietnam thing, because that is... Yes. That's just so bizarre. Yes. I mean, it's possible that the GI that we saw was a guy who was maybe about to stop some innocent villagers from being killed or prevent a a nasty, unpleasant assault or was about to take out a bunch of corrupt American soldiers Mm. who were taking advantage of the situation. Or maybe it was Dr. Sam Beckett in that episode of Quantum Leap where he rescues his brother or something. Maybe, maybe. As you mentioned earlier on, as we said, they were still publishing several war comics. But I don't think Mm. they'd started putting the little make war no more 
qualification yeah. little badges they used to, that they started putting at the end of the stories. You know, mm-hmm. it's still glorifying war mm-hmm. at that point. Is it? It's very unusual. It, it leaves a bit of an awkward taste. The plot was very piecemeal and a bit all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's probably a little bit more coherent than the first one, mm-hmm. but not ultimately as satisfying as the second one. I mean, as you say, there are some gorgeous art. Like the Jim Corrigan fight scene at the start is tremendous. Uh-huh. I like the, the way that Ace Chance is rendered. It's as clean and crisp as the best of Murphy's stuff, and I counted at least yeah. 15 full moons <laughs> wow. in this one, wow. which might be a record. It's not the densest of stories either. There's quite a lot of pages where it's three very large panels or two very large panels. Yes. And so it's not quite as satisfying a read as some of the other other sort of stories that we've done. Yeah, we kind of skipped over it at the time, but just as part two starts, you've got the gangster with the anchor splitting the spectre in two. We actually changed the spectre's dialogue because <laughs> there is a mistake in it. Yeah. So the gangster hits him with the anchor and says... I split the spectre in two, I can't believe it. As written and printed, the spectre says, Why should you, rash immortal? So, so, so this this gangster is, is immortal. Mm. Yeah, it's completely misspelled because obviously there's, you know, an extra M and an I and all that. It's a bit slapdash. One thing I did like was this sort of recurring motif of the spectre dropping bad guys off at the police station. That was quite funny. Yeah. And there was some re- obviously real horror in the way that the bad guys tried to dispatch Ace Chance at the start, you know, and we don't know then if, if Ace Chance is then going to have his gambling problems resolved, you know, because he's going to be mm-hmm. taken to the hospital for further treatment or is he going to recover? Yep. Whatever happened to Ace Chance? Maybe when we write our comic, the two Wildcats and the two Airwaves and the two Vigilantes will team up and, and help him. We could do, yes. Who can say? <laughs> I do love the haunting close-up we get of Ace Chance's ghostly face. Yes. That is a phenomenal panel. Yes. Absolutely incredible. I love that. Because, I mean, he, yeah, he does look very... Very alike the guy who we see in the opening the panels. It's, it's clearly him. Mm-hmm. It's very effective, just especially with the the white eyes and mm-hmm. white pupils as well. It's very creepy. The appearance of Ace Chance's ghost kind of reminded me a lot of. Do you remember the Golden Age character, the Green Llama? Yes, yes, I know who you mean. Yeah, he's very much like that, except in red, mm. which I thought was quite an interesting choice. Also, if, if he is a ghost, why would he suddenly have a costume? You know. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I can't, I can't remember how they, they did in the original. Did Jim Corrigan not sew his costume? Did he not create it? Yes, that's remember. right. Huh? Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know, we're so used to the many of the stories we've read subsequently that the essence of the spectre is this green mm-hmm. cowl with a sort of white form. I don't know. There's too many questions about this one, and <laughs> it's very difficult <laughs> to answer them. One thing I do think is a good idea, though, is the fact the idea of the spectre not being able to get back into Jim Corrigan's body because there's another ghost there. That's really cool. That's great. Yeah, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. It would have been interesting, I suppose, if the spectre then taking possession of Ace Chancey's body and Ace and Jim then had a sort of punch out. Yeah, it would have been a bit of a, a run around that way, yeah. Mm-hmm. That would have been quite good instead of, you know, here's a cosmic dragon, here's Green Lantern's toilet seat of death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have broken up the format from the previous story, so that would have been quite good. Yeah, and as we said, the Jim Corrigan element felt a bit lacking in the story, especially compared to the first ones. With the amount of stretching and shape changing and everything else that Spectre was doing this issue, it felt like he was elongated man or plastic man half the time. <laughs> I think there's possibly more panels of him, you know, in a in a strange position or an unhuman kind of shape. Yeah. Uh, than there are of him in his usual spectral form. Whether it's just a stretched arm or whether it's as a <laughs> giant or whatever, it's very odd. Yeah. I think Garner and Murphy must like playing with that, I think, as a yeah. as an idea, as a concept. Mm-hmm. It's quite good. One thing I liked was the spectre coming into shape in the museum and his eyes sort of flaring out from the jewels. That was quite nice. That felt very Ostrander Mandrake. That was great. It felt as if that could have come straight out of the Adventure Comics run mm-hmm. later on, yeah. It felt like very much the traditional thing you would expect a spectre to do. Right, so yeah. 
Should we do letters now then? Yes, as we said in our previous episodes, um, we're saving the reader reaction for the Spectre stories till the end of this one. Mm. So let's go to the pages of Reader's Rendezvous here in Showcase. And the editorial setup is, when we closed the second Showcase Spectre tryout, we didn't know whether there was a ghost of a chance of his returning. But as you see, the ghost of Ace Chance materialised <laughs> with this issue. While the fates deliberate the ghostly guardian's future, we offer you the reader roundup of the first two spectacular tryouts. And the first letter says... Dear Editor, after seeing the spectre is coming, scattered throughout many DC magazines, I would have been very disappointed if the war that shook the universe had been anything but a masterwork. I was not disappointed. In fact, the story was greater than I thought it could possibly be. The story's original touches were its biggest assets. I especially like Jim Corrigan's relationship to the spectre. Corrigan isn't the Spectre, the Spectre isn't Corrigan, but in some way they're connected. Mm. The Spectre's reason for being out of action for the past 20 years was original and very good. The plot was excellent. I was glad to see the Spectre fighting someone as powerful as he. In future stories, please confine the Spectre's foes to supernatural menaces, spirits and beings as powerful as he is. The Spectre's powers are good, and I am happy to see you didn't overwork them to the point where he seemed to rival God. Wait for the next issue. Mm -hmm. The battle with Asmodus was staggering, to use the Spectre's term. The art, too, was something to drool over. It can be compared only to two or three other stories by Murphy Anderson, your best artist. And that's from Robert Klein, Asbury Park, New Jersey. Excellent. No editorial response to that one, so the next letter goes like this. Dear Editor, the Spectre has come! So what? That's my reaction in ten words or less. Showcase 60 created no reason for this opinion. It fulfilled the biggest and best publicity build-up in comics history in every way. The story was excellent. The art was Anderson. And it even had two reprint panels on page three. Plus one of the most dramatic covers in a long time. But this is as far as it goes. What can be done further? Fox can improve, Anderson can improve, and covers can improve. But the Spectre can't improve. He is. Nobody can beat a perfect hero, as this issue proved. No one can come even close. The big fight scenes from page 20 to 23 make for excellent art scenes, but the grim ghost wasn't even scratched. To sell a story, there must be a basic rule followed. A conflict between good and evil, hero and villain, with evil having a good chance of winning. Eliminating the last clause makes for some very dull stories. Therefore, the Spectre can't go on, and I hereby cast my vote for not giving him his own magazine. And that's from future Spectre writer Mike Friedrich. <laughs> wow. From Castro Valley, California. Interesting. It's very pertinent. It makes, it makes some good points. I think the second story, issue 61, certainly raised the game as far as that. You know, I think uh -huh. they were obviously building up to it. I think maybe, you know, with, with the hindsight of read all read all of them now. Yeah. But it's, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because he basically, once he gets the baddies out of the way that Ace Chance sort of throws at him, he defeats Ace Chance himself almost instantly, doesn't he? Yep, that's it. So, but he makes an excellent point, because the Spectre is so powerful, there has to be some kind of threat that's going to make it feel like the Spectre's going to be challenged. I think the story... In Showcase 61, did it, you know, with Shathan, did a much better job of that. Mm -hmm. Anyway. It's quite early on in the Spectre's run that Mike actually takes over as writer. So that's uh, mm. one of his earliest uh, comic pro jobs. But it's yeah. so funny that it's coming off the back of that letter, pretty much. He's obviously got some ideas about how it should be done. I wonder if that letter was one of the yeah. things that contributed to him getting the gig. Maybe it'll be. We'll see when we get to the Spectre number three. So the next letter says, Dear Editor, 
showcases brought to the realm of comicdom the greatest of all comics. The Spectre is terrific, he's in a class by himself, and has a style all his own, which is as it should be. His first two showcasings have presented him in the most fascinating stories I have ever read, and the villains are the devil himself. The Spectre's world intrigues me. It's so utterly different and new from anything I have ever seen in a comic mag before. It's so easy to lose oneself in the limitless bounds of space as the Spectre seeks out its foe and engages in diabolically mystical battle with the unearthly opposition. He always finds an easy-to-see logical reason to solve the seemingly unsolvable problems that he encounters in battle. This may be illustrated by the great problem imposed on him in Showcase 61, How to Destroy Shathan. The answer was ridiculously simple once presented to the reader. Since Shathan was vulnerable to the same forces as the Spectre, he simply cast Shathan into the primal atom at the moment at which it exploded, knowing that nothing could survive its intensity, including Shathan and himself. That very lurid letters from Alan Traherne, Covington, L.A. And the final letter. Dear Editor, the second Spectre story was Titanic. It was not only a magnificent summary of Gardner Fox's Summary of Life, but also a statement of the battle of good versus evil throughout the history of man. A statement so moving and yet so simple, but most of all, true. The spectre is not a man, nor is he a god, though his powers are roughly equal to one. He is good. An idea, a concept, a belief. Whether you choose to portray him as an incarnate being or not, he exists as a force of infinite power. Jim Corrigan, every man, is the spectre. Good versus evil in the eternal battle that started with creation and perhaps will end only with the total destruction of everything. Good versus evil in a battle which takes place every day on our streets, in our hearts. Thus, by definition, the spectre is not a superhero. To be valid to his premise, you could never make him the possessor of a magazine. A secret identity, good should not be anyone's secret, or an assistant. Kid spectre? Absurd. <laughs> In fact, to be valid to his premise, he'll always be fighting the same villain. Evil. His battle may be unending, but is not varied, and thus, because of the great symbolism involved, can be labelled trite. You cannot restate a statement as large as good versus evil and expect it to be otherwise. To put it on another level, how can you sell a character who fights demon after demon? How can an idea have adventures? And how can infinite power possibly fail to triumph over evil, or for that matter, over petty criminals? You may disagree with me completely and decide to run the Spectre in more adventures, and possibly his own magazine. I'm sure it would be worth buying, although I sincerely doubt it could attain the heights of this showcase story. And that's from our old friend Irene Vartanoff. Mm. Again, future comic colourist Irene Vartanoff, whose letters I feel we've been reading pretty much every episode <laughs> recently. I mean... Yeah, she's she's popped up a lot, as is Mike Friedrich, obviously. Yeah. And she makes some good points, it must be said. Yes. So we're now going to jump to issue one of the Spectre's ongoing series, because he was successful in achieving an ongoing series. It debuted over a year later, towards the end of 1967, and we'll do the full story in all due time, but there are two pages of letters in issue one of the Spectre, and all this correspondence basically continues to deal with the Spectre having come back and showcase and some of the thoughts that were raised in them. So we're going to, because they're relevant to the stories we've just finished doing, we're going to cover these letters just now. The editorial introduction then to the first letters page in issue one of the Spectre goes like this. How many times can the Spectre be killed before he stays dead permanently? During the 1940s, the Ghostly Guardian had a lifespan of some 50 issues in more fun comics before being killed off in that magazine. Following a brief two-issue revival in 1965-1966, showcase numbers 60 and 61, 
He succumbed again, only to make a quickie one-issue showcase return, number 64, later that year. But you can't keep a good man down in the grave of departed heroes, not when the incessant clamour from readers demands otherwise. So once again, thanks to his admiring public, the spirit sleuth has been resuscitated in his own regularly scheduled magazine. We'll work like the devil, villain-wise, to give you the tops in thrilling entertainment. We won't fail you, so don't fail us to keep the spectre alive. While we eagerly await your verdicts, we present a roundup of reader reports on the Spectre's showcase appearances. Now, before we do the first letter, we should quickly point out that issues 62 and 63 of Showcase, the ones that didn't have the Spectre, they featured the Inferior Five. Yes. Will we see the Inferior Five in the podcast? We might. Wait and see. So the first letter then says... Dear Editor, It was with great pleasure that I confronted the third Showcase Spectre tryout, number 64. I was not disappointed. The Ghost of Ace Chance proved to be an action package. Well written, well drawn. In short, I have no complaints against you, Mr. Editor, or your staff. Solely kudos. However, I am greatly dismayed and angered by the comments of readers Friedrich and Vartanov. Dismayed that they could argue against placing the Spectre in his own book. And angered because for years fandom has been bombarding you with pleas to revive the ghostly guardian, to which you finally agreed, only to be told by a faction, and a small one I wager, that he is not truly worthy of being resuscitated. And on what grounds do they argue? Mr Friedrich declares, in regard to Shoki 60, that nobody can beat a perfect hero, as this issue proved. Or, to put it another way, the spectre is omnipotent, god-powerful. To this I respond... What's wrong with an all-powerful hero anyway? I'm tired of being exposed to super-beings with an Achilles heel. Superman succumbs to kryptonite or magic. Fire is fatal to John John. Screen Lantern's ring fails against anything yellow. Aquaman must have water every hour on the hour in order to survive. And Wonder Woman goes berserk if her bracelets are removed. Therefore, I think it's high time we had a change of pace. But if Mr. Friedrich had reflected a little longer, he would have spotted the Spectre's tender spots. Jim Corrigan. As this issue clearly indicated, if Jim is in danger, so is the disembodied detective. A definite but more subtle weakness. Miss Vartanov contends, How can infinite power fail to triumph over evil? Or to paraphrase, How can the Spectre, symbol of good, ever fail? Since we all know that good always triumphs over evil. I retort by means of two questions. A. Is evil such a weak force to be triumphed over so lightly? In his three encounters with the forces of darkness, did the spectre win so easily? B. Has good always triumphed over evil in real life? Was the estimated 30 million people killed during the First World War a case of good over evil? Did good triumph over Hitler's madness at Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen? No, Miss Vartanov. Therefore, it is very important that we have this concept, the positive winning over the negative on an absolute basis, at least in fiction, to lend hope for the day when it will finally come to pass. Hence, this is why I want to see the Spectre, and for that matter, all the other superheroes in action. Thus, Mr Editor, I urge you to continue publishing The Ghostly Guardian, notably in his own book. For despite what these readers have said, I believe that they will continue to buy the Spectre, with his locale on Earth 2, and the possibility of guest-starring members of the Justice Society mm. of America occasionally Interesting. will sell many issues, especially if you continue to stress the supernatural angle. And that, again, is from a frequent letter writer of the time, mm. Joseph Arnold, who've read out many of his letters before, and he's from New York. Yep, that's a great letter. Yeah, raising some really interesting points. 
Yeah, it's proper intelligent discourse, isn't it? Yes, uh huh. Both sides are both put across a really good argument. Mm-hmm. It's all changed from nowadays when people just get into comments when people's Facebook and, and swear <laughs> at them instead, you know? Yes. Hmm. Righty. The next letter says, Dear Editor, Spectre is coming. It was a phrase that baffled me for a long time. However, once I bought a copy of Jules Pfeiffer's The Great Comic Book Heroes, the mystery was cleared. I've got a copy of that book. I read and learned about the 1940 Spectre and he intrigued me. I wish you could say as much for the first two showcase tryouts. They bored me, but the third, that third issue, overjoyed me. It was terrific. I felt the Phantom Fighter was really beginning to show his possibilities. The straight storyline of Good vs. Evil, played to the hilt, was great. A word was used, though, that definitely should be banned from most comics, standing for Origins and Miracle Cures. If you haven't guessed, the word is radiation. Ah. That's a dig at Marvel, that's hilarious. It certainly is. It never should invade the supernatural realm, and energy could have been used with equal effectiveness. It only slipped in once or twice, but watch it, huh? <laughs> One final statement. I like the interesting subplot developing around Jim Corrigan and Mona Marcy. It will probably make fine reading in future issues. Oh yes, the Spectre must get his own Mac. And that's from Lauren Lieberthal, New York, New York. That name rings a bell as well. I wonder if I've done them before. The next letter says, Dear Editor, I was overjoyed to see the Spectre back on the stands after so many years. I've wondered all that time why you hadn't brought back the Spectre, and I'm glad to see that you finally realised his potential. Although artist Murphy Anderson has kept part of the facial features that Bernard Bailey original gave the Spectre, I see that his hair colour has changed. Also, the new Spectre's appearance was one of great handsomeness. The old Spectre's face wasn't that good looking, so (laughs) why should it improve with age? Look around you and you'll not find an average-looking superhero. They are all the most handsome men that the artist can draw. So why make the Spectre another one of the group? I'm sick to death of these disgustingly handsome heroes. <laughs> that's amazing. And that's from Dan Fleming of Ottawa. Yes, very good. I mean, that's great. He's, he's making the points about unrealistic and unachievable body images and, and you know, and yeah. stuff. That's, that's fair. That's fair. In fairness, the Spectre's got absolute control over how he appears. So That's true. If I had absolute control over how I appeared, my nose would be a lot smaller, I'd have a much squarer jaw, and all my hair would grow back. So let's be honest, it's true. I would look exactly the same. God bless you. But that, that <laughs> says so much more about, about me than it does about you. God bless you, Peter. Don't go changing. Right, so we now leap to the second page of letters in issue one of the Spectre. And the first letter on this page says, Dear Editor, I'm not writing to one of your respective magazines because it involves one of your superheroes currently in limbo, the Spectre. It appears that he will again be shelved. Why? Spectre is the super masterpiece of all comicdom. I think your comics are the best DCs for suspense and science fiction, and what I've seen of the Ghostly Guardian so far is the best of the best. Maybe the showcases weren't a sensation, but it takes time for a reputation to spread. How would the general public know that behind those DC cover masterpieces was the biggest thing to hit the comic scene in years? It takes time, but I'm positive that word would get around. Spectre is beyond compare with all those new characters, and I do mean characters that are coming off the copycat assembly line. Interesting. Oh, yeah. So why should the Spectre be chosen to be put back into suspended animation? And I thought women were hard to understand. And that's from Martin Walsh, Holden, Massachusetts. Reference there to, uh, I believe, what Robert Kaniger was trying to cultivate with calling Marvel copycat comics. Yes. We mentioned that in some of the Wonder Woman letter columns, that that was something mm. he was trying to cultivate there. First time we've seen someone really refer to it. <laughs> yeah, I kind of take slight exception with it, but then at the same time, though that, that reference to radiation, I remember someone pointing out to me years ago that, yeah, Marvel superheroes, everyone gets their powers off of radiation, and you go, oh, yeah, they do. well, 
And yeah, mm-hmm. you think about it for two seconds, and with very few exceptions, a lot of the powered ones certainly do. All the early ones do, yeah. It's definitely a thing that Marvel used a lot, radiation. Mm-hmm. But I suppose that says more about the time the comics were produced than, yeah. than anything else, with all the, the fear about nuclear power and nuclear war, etc. Mm-hmm. Anyway. The next letter goes, Dear Editor, thank you for the greatest thing you've ever done. Reviving the Spectre. The issue was magnificent. True, it left a lot to be desired, but it was still magnificent. The cover was great. I certainly underestimated Murphy Anderson's ability to draw the spectre. The story itself, beginning with a terrific title, was fabulous. I hate to use so many adjectives, but how else can I express my true feelings? I have often seen such things in my imagination as I daydreamed of a hero who could do such feats as fighting among the stars with comets and meteors of doing anything he wanted to. Speaking of which, I feel that the limitation you placed upon him, that of imprisonment in Jim Corrigan's body, was quite reasonable. But don't overuse it. Keep Jim Corrigan prominent in the stories. Something about a hero having to rescue his own alter ego from danger strikes me as being really unique. In closing, keep the spectre coming. And coming. And coming. (laughs) That's from John Pierce of Columbus, Ohio. That's an excellent point, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things about the the first showcase one that we did was that Jim was in danger at the start with the, the bomb going off and the Spectre sort of saved him and stuff. It, yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's an interesting point, you know, that as we've said, or maybe more as I've said, the Spectre stuff that I'm most familiar with is the, the John Ostrander, Tom Mandrake series. And by that point, they really are one and the same. I, out of habit, always refer to the Spectre as Jim <laughs> because they're synonymous. Uh-huh. They're not, you know, the number of times in the first couple of Spectre episodes that we did here that I was referring to the Spectre as Jim and I was having to correct myself. It was odd. Right, so the next letter then. Dear Editor, I suppose that after 20 years of inactivity even a ghost would be slightly affected but what you have done to the Spectre would be ridiculous if it weren't so pathetic. He's if you'll pardon the expression, only a shadow of his former self. Tell me, whatever happened to that awesome being who could bend the very cosmos to his will, who terrified not only those he fought, but also those he helped, and whose eyes held instant death for those foolhardy enough to peer into them? This is the character I was hoping you'd revive, not the diluted, unimpressive excuse for a spook we have now. No. What Gardner Fox has attempted to do is portray the spectre and the supernatural without the intrinsic bone-chilling terror that pervades both of them. And this just can't be done. Not if the stories are to be worth reading. I know that there are self-regulatory measures which have to be adhered to, but what I'm trying to say is that the Spectre is a character which by its very nature cannot and must not be so impeded. He must be a character whose very name invokes fear that's paralysing, who must be the equivalent of an earthbound death angel. And those very ominous words are from our old pal Bob Butts, South Penned, Indiana. Gosh, well, cheer up, Bob. But again, I suppose he's he's making a reasonable point. I think the Spectre does as much as he can get away with under the Comic Code Authority. <laughs> exactly. That's it, exactly. I mean, once we get to the 70s Spectre appearing in adventure comics, he kind of does cut loose a little bit. Sometimes quite literally. <laughs> yes, yes, as we'll see. So, the final letter then. It says, Dear Editor, Perhaps it was because the first two Spectre stories were so brilliantly executed, or that I had anticipated so very much that the third triad issue would simply have to be in a par with the others, that I was somewhat let down with the Ghost of Ace Chance. But lest you get the wrong impression from this opening, please wait until I complete my comments before forming any conclusions as to what my opinions really are. Beginning with the cover, I would have to say that with minor reservations, it is a most striking piece of artwork. That horizontal figure of the ghost of Ace Chance, poised in the foreground, 
with that ghastly, chilling spectre over him, combined with the brilliant, focused colours, made this spectre cover the best of all three. Those minor reservations include the phrase, Out of my body, you squatter, which hmm. to me elicited a laugh, not a scare. Secondly, that sensational sounded a bit too facetious, and that it was an obvious attempt at sensationalism. The story started off well enough. The villain was introduced very nicely, and immediately we knew the kind of smug, ruthless character with which we were dealing. His murder was one of the most sensational things I've seen in comics. Love that ghost departing from his body, and many thanks for the thoroughly evil criminals. However, now comes the first weakness of the story. An obvious padding in what's so far a very tightly knit yarn. I'm speaking of the theft at the Marine Museum involving the very exciting split routine. But the sequence is bad because it interrupted the smooth flow of the story. And by the time you get back on the track with the disasters, even they are drawn out far too long to be effective. Fortunately, the plot picks up again with the ingenious idea of having another spirit enter Jim Corrigan's body. But then action lags again with Spectre absorbing his good radiation to go back and fight Ace Chance. When Spectre pulls Ace's spirit from Jim's body, the story picks up and gets very exciting until Menace, piled upon Menace, draws the battle out just too darned long. The introduction of the Black Sabbaths, uh, <laughs> copyright Ozzy Osbourne, and the evil Fireflower were tremendous, but lost their impact because they arose in the midst of such extra weight. In short, the story was just turgid. And that's from Paul Cedar from Imperial PA. There we are. Very harsh. But you know, it's, it's interesting seeing the sort of range of opinions. And I'm, I'm really struck by how much time passed between the last showcase appearance for the Spectre and, you know, an issue one appearing. But, you know, we'll talk about that further when we get to issue one, I'm sure. Absolutely, yes. I'm just taken by the amount of thought that everyone's really put into the whole good versus evil situation that we have going on in mm -hmm. Pages of the Spectre. Obviously, you've got some people saying it's too formulaic, you've got some people saying we need this. So, yeah, obviously, the Spectre does get its own magazine. We've, we have read literally the letters from that magazine uh, yeah. talking about the showcase issues, and we'll be covering that when we get to it uh, in the chronology. We should say again, it's, I mean, this has been a good, a good summer for the Spectre because, you know, he's had his three issues of showcase. He was very prominent in the, the Justice League and Justice Society team-up, as, we, as we've seen in recent episodes. Mm -hmm. He's going to rock up in Brave and Bold a couple of times soon as well. So he's he's obviously done quite well compared to, say, Doctor Fate or Starman, who there didn't seem to be this level of passionate response and no, true. from the contemporary readership. They've gone with Gentleman Jim because he got people engaged, I suppose. Yes. As nice as it would have been to have had 10 issues of Doctor Fate, he got 10 issues of The Spectre. I'm, I'm not too familiar with the stories. I flicked through them, I own them, I've owned them for a very long time, so it'll be good to kind of, when we get there, to, to revisit them and, and see what they're like. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting. It is great that so many people wrote into DC to put forward their thoughts on the Spectre, and we would like you to write in to us to tell us your thoughts on these stories. We really would. Yeah, you can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. We'll be putting up lots of highlights from this issue on our social media and lots of other bonus material that you're missing out on if you don't follow us on the social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. We certainly are. And I'd like to give a special shout out to listener Chuck Lordians who gave us a little uh, comment on one of our pages regarding a Flash story we read quite a while back now actually saying that we deserve an Oscar for the dramatic reading of the scene in which Barry's costume is talking to him. <laughs> Thanks Chuck for that, that's great. 
Yes, it's appreciated. That maybe gives you an idea how far in advance we're recording these at the moment. <laughs> On a similar note, I'm going to give a quick shout out to the, the Power of Three, which is the Doctor Who podcast that I'm involved with, my friends Kenny Smith and Tom Harris. If you're a Doctor Who fan, check that out. We quite often retweet them from our account as they quite often retweet us. So yeah, you can you can check out the Power of Three if you're remotely interested. So that's everything for this week. We'll reconvene and uh, talk to you again next week. What are we going to talk about next week? You'll have to tune in and find out. Yes. So until then, I've been Peter. He has been Peter and I've been David. Thank you for joining us. Please take care, everyone. We'll see you next time on... The The Earth Earth 2 Podcast. Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. It feels very strange to be working on my birthday. I haven't worked my birthday since 1999.